I still wake up early. This morning, I was out there boxing and getting it. Not because I'm a boxer and I'm trying to fight, because I want to push myself. I want to talk to the person who's in my mind, who's trying to deter me from making the next punch, from who's keeping me in the bed, who says, no, it's dark outside. No, you don't need to go. I need to defeat that person. I defeated them playing football. I still want to defeat them. I know one thing about athletes that make us greater than people who are non-athletes. Once we start moving forward, we're hard to stop. Once we capture a focus, we're very difficult to be denied. We just have to find something very similar to what we did in sports. With coach said, hey, 6 a.m. workouts. Nobody was like, I'm, I'll be here at nine. Nobody was like, ah, can't make it. Everybody was like, I'm gonna get there. I don't wanna get here, but I'm gonna get here. And so what we need to do is we need to be able to identify that thing. What is it that we want? Now there's gonna be layers and things that prevent us. Maybe you just need to get going. First of all, you got me ready to run through a brick wall when you started talking about talking to the voice in your head and I have to beat that guy. I was like, man, I'm about to go do a workout right now and I already worked out this morning. <laughs> What's happening, beautiful people? Welcome back to the Thrive After Sports podcast. We're gonna get right into this episode. Excited for you to listen to this interview with my mentor, my big bro, Mr. Thomas Williams. Uh, he's been on the podcast many different times. Today, we were here to talk about his book, his new book. This is his second, third, fourth book. I don't know. The man's prolific. He's written a lot of books. The book, Dig, Discover Your Depth, Determination, and Destiny Through Adversity. Phenomenal story. It's a fictional book, uh, but the lessons that you can take away from this book are I mean, you'll hear us talk about some of the principles in the book during this interview. Uh, if you want to hear Thomas's story either before, or during or after you listen to this episode, go back to episode 87. That's where Thomas came on and told his story about his transition from USC to the NFL to transitioning out of the NFL and how he got into what he's doing now. Uh, or also episode 103, where he was a panelist on the Athlete to Entrepreneur series that I was hosting. So episodes 87 or episodes 103 are a great place to hear more about Thomas's personal journey, his transition and his entrepreneurial journey. This episode is all about the book. We start out the episode right away by talking about the principles in the book before we even talk about what the book is about. So stay tuned for that. But when you hear the principles, you'll be like, wow, this is some powerful stuff. Thomas is an excellent speaker, author, um, just an overall great human being. So I'm excited for you guys to hear this one. As always, if you're not subscribed to this channel on YouTube, please do so. Please subscribe to the podcast on Apple and Spotify. And please, 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 if you've ever gotten any value from listening to this show or watching this show, please just click the five-star button on Apple Podcasts. It really means a lot and helps other people discover the show. If you haven't done so already, click the links in the show notes below to join the Thrive After Sports collaborative community. I actually posted a couple of recordings from our weekly meetups that we're having in there. I may post a couple of more. We just had a good one this morning, actually. So um, yeah, check it out. There are a lot of good things happening there. A lot of people getting help with their business. A lot of people being helped through their transition. A lot of introductions and connections being made. Don't miss out. Join the Thrive After Sports community. I'll see you on the inside. And now on to this episode with Thomas Williams. So first of all, I was honored because you know how, how much i look up to you um as a almost like a big brother figure even though you're probably only four or five years older than me i see you as a big brother even though we both in our 30s right yeah uh but when you reached out to me about being one of the early readers and like not only was it an honor to read it but to, for you to be open for my feedback or my thoughts about the book first of all i was blown away by the fact that it was a fictional story i mean obviously based on certain things which we will get into but 
I want to just start with that because I wasn't expecting that, right? I'm thinking here you are, you, you're inspiring people and this is a different way of inspiring people. But I know you as someone who talks about like, and this is your third book? Third. Second, third, third or fourth book. Okay. Okay. So why did you decide to go this route for this third book in terms of creating this story? Like what was just the, the idea behind that? Yeah. So Taj, you know, as you, as you kind of, you know, mentioned me in, in the light of, of big brother kind of, you know, giving you a couple of nuggets based off of our experiences, our age, you know, I always also have that same figure and those people in my life. And so one of my big components in my life from, you know, family man to father, to businessman, to author, to speaker is John Gordon. And so when I first met John years ago in 2018, John said, you know, nobody really cares about your story but if you're able to write a story you're able to capture more people and so once he said that i i, I you know like i said 2018 you know here now is five years later i finally write that book that is actually a story within a story and taj i could tell you that i've heard more feedback from a wide range of demographic, whether it's single parents, whether it's a teacher, whether it's a stay-at-home mom, whether it's a, a dad who's you know trying to figure out how to connect with their kids a little bit more. I mean, it has been a wide range. And John didn't lie. I mean, absolutely, without a doubt, if you can write a story about a story, more people will gravitate towards it. So my first two books, Permission to Dream, The Relentless Pursuit of Greatness, that was about me. And so that only spoke to a certain specific demographic, the relentless pursuit of greatness. It was about athletes in transition. That's speaking to a specific demographic. The story of dig speaks to everyone because everybody has a greatness. And so being able to dive into your greatness is something that I really wanted people to one relate to. And I also wanted them to be inspired, not while they're reading the book, but it be inspired when they put it down. Well, mission accomplished 100%. I was telling you that, you know, so I'm not a, I'm an, I'm a very emotional person actually. And, you know, I'm the type of person where if a movie resonates with me, I'll, I'll get emotional. I might tear up a little bit. I can't say that a book has ever, um, maybe because it's less of a sensory experience, it's more an imagination type thing, but a book has never actually made me emotional. Your book made me emotional because it reads like a book. Mm. And I, the picture was so vivid. And like you said, you're painting with such a broad brush, meaning that it's not just for athletes, even though it's a story of a young athlete, the diving into your greatness concept applies to everyone. So right. True. And so I just thought it was so well-written. Uh, it's such a great story. It, we may or may not get into like the actual story itself, but I think something that is important for us to get into is just the principles behind the book. Yeah. Um, yeah. Talk for a little sure. bit about what that looks like. Yeah. So, you know, one of the things that I've grown into, you know, this, this space of personal and professional development is not just telling stories, but telling principles. And again, you know, when the power in proximity is crazy. And so being a John Gordon speaker, speaking with John, you know, aside, you know, from John next to John, you know, before John, after John, just having conversations with them, it's, it's like he starts to rub off on you. And so John has this infectious ability to not only be positive, but also to teach. And so John would always ask me, what are you, who are you speaking to this week or this month or whatever? What are you going to talk to him about? What are your principles? And so as I've gotten more and more closer with him, 
he's really given me that foundational blueprint of this is how you're able to teach people. There needs to be a principle. There needs to be a story. And then how does that apply to their life? And so the great speakers, um, I should say the really good speakers can tell great stories. Um, the really good teachers can give great principles, but the really good speakers who are becoming great teachers, they have principles and they have stories. And then when the person who's sitting in the audience, they go, that's how it speaks to me. Have you ever been to a church service? And you're like, is the pastor in, in my, is he in my living room? Like, is he living in one of my drawers in the kitchen? Like when, when me and my wife or, or me and my kids are talking, like he's talking to me. That's because he's given you a principle. He's told the story and everybody relates to a story. Every person relates to the story. So in this book, Dig, there's four simple principles. And I come up with them through life um, of living, as well as of mentorship, of teaching. And so these four principles apply to everyone, is that everybody wants something, right? So diving into your greatness. Every single person wants to dive into the greatness. They want to achieve greatness. And we're not talking about a certain level of status or a certain level of standing. It's their own personal greatness. So rule number one and principle number one is this, is that there's something that's either pushing you to it or preventing you from it pushing you to it or preventing you from it. And so if you're in the prevention mode, so when I was um, when I was in sixth grade, my mom was told by my sixth grade teacher that when I was 16 years old, based on the way I was living and I was um, walking out of my house and going to school, I would be dead by the time I was 16 years old. Leader, gang, shot, stabbed, and killed. Verbatim, those were the words. And my mom comes home sobbing tears. And I remember thinking to myself, I'm going to make him a liar. And so instantly mm. in that moment, there was something preventing me. But now because my perspective shift, what happened was, is that I went to now this is going to push me. Now, principle number two is if you can't find the example, you got to find the proof. So, so many times we feel like we don't have the example. Our parents didn't go to college. Uh, nobody in our neighborhood built that company. Nobody pursued a dream and actually accomplished that. That's what we have, right? And so we have this mindset of, if I don't see it, I can't do it. And so what I want people to do is I, they need to find the proof. Um, so for example, I didn't have the example, I didn't have the example growing up of uh, entrepreneurship, college graduates, and I didn't learn this lesson until I went to my buddy Todd's house. And so Todd, I love him to death. And I'm sure it wasn't as nice as maybe it looked, but two-parent background, both of his parents owned their business, lived in a beautiful house, parents owned multiple properties, real estate. And Todd was a straight-A student. How do I know? Because when I would walk through Todd's house, go into the refrigerator, because I was a chunky kid and I loved to eat. I used to always, always see Todd's report card on the refrigerator. And I'm like, AAA. So I'm thinking like, this has got to be the one from, from two years ago. Cause I keep seeing straight A's and it wasn't, it was the most recent up-to-date one. And so I was like, man, I, I never felt that before. I don't know what that's like. And so what I would do is that week in particular, this one week, I called Todd after school and it didn't hit me, Todd, until this moment. I said, Todd, you want to hang out and play? He's like, I can't. I called him the next day. I did this for three straight days. I was like, man, you hang out with me on the weekends. You hang out with me at school. Like, but I'm not cool enough to hang out with after school. What was, is what did I do? And he broke it down to me. He said, Thomas, what's the first thing you do when you get home? I was like, play, duh. He goes, the first thing I do is I do my homework. And then I play later. 
And so if I can't play all throughout the day, it's because I didn't have time, but I play on the weekends. And so what I learned in that moment, Taj, is that you have to do what you have to do before you can do what you want to do. And so even though I didn't have the example of how it's done, I had the proof that it could be done. Now, where does that come into play in real life? In 1954, every single person walking this earth tried to break the four minute mile, especially if you're a runner and they couldn't do it. Nobody could do it. And so the, the you know, sports psychologists, you know, the, the, the athletic trainers, all of them told people, listen, it's not going to be done. 401 is the best until mid-spring, uh, Roger Bannister broke the four-minute mile. Three minutes, 59 seconds, and a little bit of carryover. And what happened was, is that in that same year, there was 20-something other people who broke a four-minute mile. Did they get faster all of a sudden in these three months, six months? No, they saw that there was proof that it could be done. And so that's why if you don't have the example, that's not an excuse, but you have to find the proof. And so I found the proof in Todd. Two years later, I went from a 2.3 grade point average to a 3.5, all because I did exactly what he said. He gave me the proof that it could be done. And he also gave me the secret code or the sauce at, the, at that time. You know, principle number three in DIG, it comes, and this isn't, people don't like this one, but this is, I mean, it's so true, is that there's magic in the quitting moments. There's magic in the quitting moments. And so I will never forget, I tried to quit football several times, but this time in particular, I was I was dead set on it. I'm in, I'm in Carolina playing with the Panthers. We're in training camp in, in South Carolina where you're, uh, field temperature is 123 degrees Fahrenheit because they had the rubber and it was just hot. And I would practice good and then I wouldn't play in the preseason game or I would get a little bit of reps and then all of a sudden like the starters come in and I wouldn't get any reps. And I'm like, coach, how am I going to give you, show you what I can do if I never practice, if I'm never playing? And so I called my dad one day in the cafeteria at lunch after our second practice and I said, dad, I'm I'm done. I said, I'm done playing. I'm done with football. I'm done getting, feel like I'm treated like this. It never feels like I'm able to advance or go in the places that I want to go. And my dad told me this. He said, how many years of a contract did you sign? I said, four. He said, well, you got to give him four years. What year is this? I said, four. He goes, do you have your benefits? I said, no, I got to play the rest of the year. And I'm literally, Taj, like headed back to my dorm room, packing my bags, and I'm flying home. Because my dad told me that I was about to quit the first two games, first game, the starting linebacker who was in front of me went down. The second game, the second string linebacker went down. The third game, I started. Guess who I started against? My former team. My former team. Yeah. And I win the game. They throw the ball at the very end of the game to try to score a touchdown. I knock the ball down. I win the game. Now, there was magic in that quitting moment. One, I was able to start. Two, I was able to get benefits that actually benefit me for the rest of my life, benefit me, benefit my family. If I would have quit in that moment, I wouldn't have gotten that because my feelings, and most of the time people are led by feelings as opposed to responsibilities. And so we have to remember feelings do not have anything to do with responsibilities, but sometimes us not doing our responsibilities can distract and detract us for the rest of our life. And principle number four, run towards the roar. People got to run towards the roar, you know, and, and, and what run towards the roar is it's an old African proverb that talks like this and says that let's just use hyenas that are eating or feeding or bathing at the water hole. And so the hyenas are there in the water hole. And so the lions know that every single day that they have to eat 
And so what they do is that they put the loudest roaring lion, the oldest lion, the most unathletic, cannot run, cannot even bust a grape in a food fight. But they put that lion on one side of the hyenas and its only job is to roar. That's all it can do. And it roars loud. And the roar can be heard up to miles away, especially by animals with acute listenings. So what they do is that they run completely in the opposite direction. Now, the animals and the lions are smart. They know that this lion can't do anything. So they set up traps on the other side. So these are the fast, aggressive, hungry lionesses. And they're waiting there for the hyenas to just run because now they don't have to run and try to hunt down dinner. Dinner is running towards them. And so if those hyenas would have just ran in the direction where they heard that roar, where they heard the fear, where they heard the reason why they shouldn't be going in that direction, they would actually be alive. And most of us, we need to run towards the roar. We need to do the hardest thing. We need to do the thing that's most uncomfortable because it's going to, one, keep us alive mentally, emotionally, spiritually, but it's going to keep our dream alive. We got to run towards the roar. And so there's several things that you've done in your life as an athlete, as an entrepreneur, as a family man, as a community leader, that you had to run towards the roar. And so because you ran towards the roar, the dream is alive. The vision's alive. You're alive emotionally, physically, spiritually. And so that's the four things. So first and foremost, you got to find out, are you being pushed by your dream and your greatness? Or are you being prevented? Number two, if you cannot find the example, if you don't have it, you got to find the proof. And number three, in those quitting moments, get excited because there's magic in it. And number four, you got to run towards the roar. Man, thank you for going so in depth with breaking down those principles. I definitely want to come back to those because I have thoughts and questions about each one of those. And I'm curious how you even landed on those being the principles that you decided to incorporate into the book. But if people are listening thus far, and hopefully you ordered the book already, I'll have all the links in the show notes so you can order this book. But I'm curious about like, and, and I know people are curious about the story and without giving the whole thing away, now that we know the principles, can you talk about just a little quick summary of what the story of the book is and the characters in the book and all that? Yeah. So there's, you know, most of the time we think that in order for adversity to strike, something negative and bad has to happen. Life doesn't necessarily have to show up in a way of a, of a scary, dark mask, almost like that scream mask that's on Halloween that freaks everybody out. <laughs> it can just show up in a way um, that's actually passive. And so in the story, um, there's two parents who one of them loses their jobs. They have to move from a privileged, entitled lifestyle over to the opposite side of the tracks. And there's an individual in the story who's going into his senior year. And so he has to move everything, his friends, the things that he's been comfortable with, the way he lives his life. And he has to move to the opposite side of town. And the thing about the main character, his name is Darren, is that Darren loses what he wanted, but it was replaced with what he needed. And so many times, a lot of us lose something and we feel like life is over. I can't believe I just lost that or that just got stripped away or taken away. But when we open up our spiritual eyes and ears, we can see and hear what is, what's being replaced with what we need. And so Darren is lucky enough to be uh, surrounded by so many community members at so many different places that I believe every single person uh, either runs into, has um, stories, or has experiences with people in your community. And they are constantly pouring life into them. 
And so Darren didn't receive this kind of treatment, this kind of love, this kind of support in his old neighborhood, but he receives it in his new neighborhood. And what he starts to see is that this is how I want to live. These are the these are the values. These are the principles that I want to live and lead my life with. And, you know, there's a there's a surprise and caveat where Darren thinks that it's all about him. But there's somebody in Darren's life that's being exposed to the way Darren treats life and shows up at life. And that person, all of their decisions will be based off of how Darren decides to either move forward, stay back, quit, give up or give in. You know, one of the things that, and I was telling you, it reads like a movie. And so the thing about it that for me made it so real and relatable was that it actually felt like a real story, even though it was one you created, all, even the circumstances, something as simple as, like you said, his pops being, you know, laid off or having to downsize, um, starting in a new school, like, you know, his younger brother, they're both in high school, like all that type of stuff is so relatable to things that people actually go through. And I think sometimes when you read a fictional book, it feels like you're reading a story, like a, yeah. you know, it's like a fantasy made up story versus like, I feel like I'm actually reading about someone's life. Yeah. So the question I have is, we know you started with those principles that you laid out for us. How do you even begin the process of crafting a story? Like we know the, princi the principles are the foundation, but how do you determine like, okay, I'm just, cause it all comes from your mind, your imagination. Yeah. So how do you go about deciding on the characters and what the storyline is what was that process like for you yeah it was uh it was fun so you know in full transparency is that i hired a ghostwriting and a team so that they could work on so they could work in the story and i could work on the story and so they were working wow. on the weeds right and so they were actually typing the keyboards we had conversations this is what i see this is what i think so i actually for the first time felt like i was putting on my director's hat which was so dope to be able to do because it's you figure out which words need to go where I want to give you the concept. Then I'm going to go back and I'm going to read it and I'm going to extract things that need to stay or things that need to, you know, get inserted. And so for me, I came up with the concept in 2020 when God gave me the vision for this book and said, I'm going to, I need you to be a more a person who has more depth. I need you to be more in depth. Okay, God, well, how, how does that work? Well, I'm going to take you down. So in order to have depth, we need to go down. And so it's like when we hear people say the difference between being buried and planted. And so I needed to go down deep so that I could have more depth to me. That was when I found out I was going to become a father. That's when I found out you know, uh, the world was coming to an end, so to speak, during that time. You know, there were so many different things that gave me the vision to say, why don't you share a story with the world that inspires them and invites them to dive into their greatness? And so for me, man, coming up with this concept, um, it was a lot of lost sleep because you're constantly thinking about the content. You're constantly thinking about the storyline. But ultimately, what I wanted to do is I wanted to tell Fresh Prince of Bel-Air opposite. I wanted to tell the opposite. I wanted to tell, you know, Will Smith, West Philly comes from nothing. Now, all of a sudden, moves to Bel-Air, brings his swag. In this story, person came from Bel-Air, moved to West Philly, lost his swag, found his swag because they taught him, hey, this is how you need to act. These are the confidence builders. These are the things that you carry. See, even though your position in the story isn't great, your purpose is life is greater. 
And so that's what Darren needed to understand is that he had a purpose greater than his position inside of playing sports. And most everybody else who understands um, the the difference between the spiritual and the natural aspects of life, uh, you feel that because you know that maybe I'm not in the position that I want, but it's only because I'm fulfilling the purpose that I have. Mm. Man, you know, I didn't even put two and two together that it's almost like the reverse of uh, Fresh Prince of Bel-Air. It was crazy as I was reading the original manuscript you sent me, I was actually watching episodes of the new Fresh Prince of Bel-Air and I still didn't put two and two together, man. That's just how, I think that's a testament to how, because it's not, oh, this is like this thing, right? Mm -hmm. It's like real life, but you can't say it's like any other story. And I think that's a testament to your writing. Um, like I told you, the, the moment, let me just share this really quickly and we'll get back on track. The thing that got me emotional, man, was, and I don't want to give too much of the story away, but there's a moment where Darren, the main character, is trying to comfort his younger brother uh, from not making the team. And so uh, what turns into him comforting his younger brother ends up being a very like touching moment. And it made me think of my younger brother, man. And he, you know, he says, it's okay. I don't need to make it. I'm just going to support you. And he pulls out a bunch of notes that he's been working on to support his bigger brother. Man, that... I called my brother immediately, man. I was hey, just checking in. Oh, you just want to tell you I love you. Uh, that that was the one that got me. It really struck a chord with me, you know. Yeah. And so, um, no, I know you said you 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 never like to give yourself too much credit, man. You said you had help and everything, but at the end of the day, this is like your baby and your project. Yeah. And you said to me earlier today that one of the things you wanted to do was live what you wrote about. Yeah. Meaning, like, in a lot of people, I think, you know including me, when you write something, you put something out, it's like, hey, I want to write about what I've lived. You were intentional about wanting to live what you wrote about. What does that look like? Like, how do you start to intentionally incorporate that into your life? Yeah. So Taj, as you know, as a speaker, sometimes you run out of content and it's, it's, it's difficult to go to a stage because you're like, I'm telling this same story. Right. It could mm. be a childhood story. It could be a transitional story. It can be a parental story. It can be a struggle story. And you're like, I'm telling the same story. And there comes a point in your life where you're like, I need to start not practicing what I preach. I need to start preaching what I practice. And so we have to put that shift and that switch and saying, listen, I'm going to start telling people what I'm living because it's a lot easier to take a test when you already have the answers. And so for me, man, it's wild because when I first set out to do this and write this story, I didn't know how all the pieces were coming together. I was just allowing it to flow. And the subconscious mind, which never turns off, thank God, because it keeps us breathing and it keeps that heart beating. The subconscious mind knew what I was actually going through and allowed me to bring that to my conscious mind and write about it. And so my family and I moved from Southern California to Denver, Colorado in May. And so I started writing this book last October. So I'm literally writing a story about a young man who's getting ready to uproot himself and move to a new place, plant himself in an area, and then start to feel the love from the supporting cast that are in the book. So there's several different people who most people visit to on a regular who are now implanting the life, right? Because I talked about the position of these people, but they knew that their purpose was greater than their occupation. And so when we've moved here, I mean, wifey has a group of friends that are just absolutely phenomenal. Their husbands are phenomenal. Their kids are phenomenal. So it's crazy how the book of Dig has a, has a community that wraps their arms around this family. Because as we moved here, before we even, or I'm sorry, 
after we moved here, before the book was launched, this was already a play that was going to happen. So we literally attracted the same kind of people that are in this story. And so it's wild to me to even think about how is it so cool that Darren found himself around a popular, positive community? And so do we. Mm -hmm. Yeah, you told me in one of our recent phone calls how you were networking and meeting people at the barbershop yes, you were sir. going to. Yeah. And that's such a fundamental part. When y'all read the book, you'll hear about that, how fundamental the barbershop connection is for Darren in that new town when he moves. Yeah, 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 yeah um, man. And so it's, it, I mean, it's, it's all around us. And I think even in this season, Taj, you know, moving from LA where I could rest on my laurels of being a USC football player, two-time national champion, NFL football player, knowing, you know, a lot of people one or two phone calls away. I think this has moved me in a way to dive into my greatness. Like I'm, I'm, I'm for the first time coming out to a new state in a new city as me, not me, the football player, not me, the guy who's trying to figure it out, not me, you know, uh, the guy who always has time because he doesn't have a family. I got a family of, of two getting ready to be a family of three. Um, and so this is calling me to be my greatest, the greatest I've ever been. You know, I, I tell people right now that I'm not the greatest motivational speaker in the world, but I'm the greatest I've ever been. And I'm so excited about it. Mm. I'm so excited about it. I like that. You know what that makes me think of, man? I've been quoting you a lot lately because you have two things that you shared with me over the years that just come out of me when I'm on podcasts. Um, I actually was on a podcast this morning where I was talking about how you always say, I never stop playing football. I just don't tackle people anymore. Yes, sir. You know, that, yeah. I mean, that statement speaks for itself. And I always give you credit too. I'll be like, yeah, my mentor, my big bro, Thomas <laughs> Williams always says this thing. Um, and then another thing that I also quoted you on this morning is how you said, I don't remember exactly how you said it, but we were having a phone call and I was going through a little bit of a rough patch and trying to figure things out. And you said that you were like, you just have to play the game every day. There's no, yeah. you can't win life. You can't win the game of life. Just keep playing the game yeah. of life. And so yeah. um, I brought that up because I think that what you just described in terms of your life experiences and how you kind of tied that into the book and even the book itself. I think those are even some themes that shine through in the book, you know, yeah. in, in various ways. So, um, but yeah, man, you know, so you know that most of the people who listen to this show are current athletes or former athletes or, you know, people who support the athlete community. And so I think just based off the principles that you shared early on, um, for the book that are in the book, I like to kind of just go through each one of those one by one, because like for the first one, like something that's pushing you towards or pulling you from like for the athletes who are in transition right now, how do you, and before I ask this question, like, I just want to preface it by saying, I have something that I call running from the nightmare, but running towards the dream. Meaning mm -hmm. if you're running from a nightmare something that you, whether it's a job situation or just the current state of life, you need a dream to kind of pull you uh pull you from that but you need something like pushing you towards the dream of what your life could be so i think now would be a great time for you to give some advice just based off that principle of how do you craft that for yourself in terms of finding something to either pull you from it or push you towards it how do you kind of break that down when you're talking to people yep so it's it's simple kind of to use the same football analogy um i had a great coach in college who says this game can be as complex as you want it to be or as simple as you need it to be. 
if you want to choose the high road, choose simplicity. And so he said, rather than worrying about avoiding blockers, just find the football. So don't try to do either or. That's why I'm not saying at the same time, you need to find out what's preventing you and then find out what's pushing you. As soon as you identify something's preventing you, turn it into a push. Turn it into a push. Find the football. So um, it's, it's, it's very difficult to do a whole bunch of things at the same time, but it's very simple to do one thing. One of the things that I I think I'm, I'm working on and strengthening in life right now is um, being able to compartmentalize. Now you have to compartmentalize as a parent, right? So you might be doing something, your kids are screaming, they're arguing, so you have to be you know, diplomatic and, and then you have to still live life. Maybe you're driving the car. And so what I've learned is that keep the main thing the main thing. And so for athletes, they need to utilize their best traits and transferable skills from sports. For me, the reason why I said I never implant, I never stopped playing football, I don't tackle people anymore. Like I still wake up early. This morning I was out there boxing and getting it. Not because I'm a boxer and I'm trying to fight, because I want to push myself. I want to talk to the person who's in my mind, who's trying to deter me from making the next punch, from who's keeping me in the bed, who says, no, it's dark outside. Nope, you don't need to go. I need to defeat that person. I defeated him playing football. I still want to defeat him. So for me, I know that's one of my biggest obstacles in opponents. Number two, the second part of that, Taj, is that I know one thing about athletes that make us greater than people who are non-athletes. Now, I'm using that term loosely, but when I say that, I'm talking about you played high school sports, you played college sports, you played professional sports, is that once we start moving forward, we're hard to stop. Once we capture a focus, we're very difficult to be denied. We just have to find something very similar to what we did in sports with coach said, hey, 6 a.m. workouts. Nobody was like, I'm, I'll be here at nine. Nobody was like, ah, can't make it. Everybody was like, I'm going to get there. I don't want to get here, but I'm going to get here. And so what we need to do is we need to be able to identify that thing. What is it that we want? Now there's going to be layers and things that prevent us. Well, I don't know what I want. Great. Most of the time when me and wife are in the car and she says she's hungry, I always ask her a question. What do you want to eat? What do you think her answer is? I don't know. Oh. What do you want to eat? <laughs> right. Right. Okay. So at least we know. Okay. So do you want pizza? No. You want hamburger? No. You want Italian food? No. Okay. You want, you want, you want a sub sandwich? Got it. So we had to go through what we didn't want in order to find out what we did want. But we know we were hungry. We knew we needed to get something to eat. So that's the thing when I talk about pushing and preventing is identify what you're going after. Maybe your goal for the day is to clean a garage. Maybe you just need to get going. You know, I always tell my workout accountability group is that slow motion is better than no motion. Motion is the body's lotion. Like, and as long as you stay moving, you good. Like we just, okay, so today I'm just gonna clean out the garage. Okay, maybe tomorrow I'm gonna put another to-do list on the task. And all of a sudden you start stacking these wins and these wins create confidence. Confidence creates, man, I could walk into that business meeting and I can have that conversation. Man, I could just out of the blue email somebody or send them a DM on Instagram. Oh, shoot. Okay, I got the confidence. Why? Because for the last five days, I've been waking up and doing exactly what I've been saying. Mm -hmm. Man, okay. First of all, you got me 
ready to run through a brick wall when you started talking about talking to the voice in your head and I have to beat that guy. I was like, man, I'm about to go do a workout right now. And I've already worked <laughs> out this morning. <laughs> uh, okay, there's a lot more I can say about that, but I want to be respectful of your time. So moving on to principle number two that yeah. is outlined in the book. Like when you talk about finding the example or finding proof automatically, and people have heard me on this podcast, <clears throat> excuse me, they've heard me time and time again talk about how important it is to find mentors and like virtual mentors, but also like to be able to look for the example of online proof. Like you, I always cite three people, you, uh, Derek Furlow Jr. and Jonathan Orr were like three people I looked at and said, these are people, and I know you do a lot more than, than just helping athletes, but early on, you know, five, six years ago, I was like, these are people who are doing something very similar to what I'm doing. They are the proof. They are the example. Let me make it my own and start to do something my own way, but in a very similar way now that I know it's possible. So anyway, I say all that to say, um, how have you in your own life, aside from, uh, was it Todd, the dude you went to school with, yeah. what are some other examples you can think of of ways that you found proof or found examples? So it's easy, right? I, I, um, when I was in high school, um, our high school coach called up one of the other guys that used to go to our high school was at the time going to UCLA. He was like, Hey, come work out with this kid. So during their Christmas break, he came back from Los Angeles, lived in our hometown. He brought cone drills. He said, this is what we do in college. That's it. Four cones. The, the straight shuffle, backpedal, karaoke. Okay, now we're going to do a W drill. That's all we did for 30 minutes. I did that drill for the next two and three years. I all of a sudden started to believe that I was a college athlete because this college mm -hmm. athlete was showing me what they're doing. But if I wouldn't have had that, what I would have had to do is I would have had to find somebody who knew a college athlete. What did they do? I, I talked to this kid's mom from our high school and before I met Joe Hunter, who was the UCLA guy, I said, what did your son do? I got to find out what are they, what did he do, right? Don't tell me he bench pressed, he did this. She gave me two simple principles. She said, he didn't go to parties and he stopped drinking soda. That day, Taj, I stopped drinking soda. It was water, Snapple, Snapple in the can though. I never <laughs> touch, I never touch another soda for my whole entire rest of my high school career, right? It was those little things. I meet John Gordon in 2018. I'm thinking that I'm doing it, right? I'm like, man, I'm, you know, I'm talking twice a month, 25 times a year. John was like, I, I talked 88 times last year. I was like, whoa, whoa. <laughs> he goes, can you talk once a week? You played football once a week. I said, I got it. If I can see it, if I can touch it, if I'm breathing the same air as that person, I believe I can do what they're doing. If that's something that's calling me. So, the thing about that is that even though I didn't have the example, I had the proof. Now I'm talking with them. John Gordon, you wrote 29 books. You're speaking all over the country. You're doing two, three talks in a day. You're telling me right now I need to focus on the fruit, or I'm sorry, I need to focus on the root, not the fruit of what I'm doing. Ah, okay, got you. I went from speaking 25 times to 44. So with that being said, is that now I got the proof that it can be done. And here's the proof how. Mm. Man, okay. Magic in the quitting moments. Yeah. Let's talk about it. Dog, I get, <laughs> because here's everybody else. Everybody else starts to question. See, this is where uh, the law of differentiation comes in. And the law of differentiation is find out what other people aren't willing to do and master that. I learned that, I learned that in high school in ninth grade doing push-ups when a coach told us to. I said, I got it. Find out what other people aren't willing to do. Master that. That's why I played special teams in college. Special teams in college for me was nobody wants to do it. <laughs> I do. 
So mm-hmm. the thing about with with the magic or magic in the quitting moments is that instead of getting anxious and finding out am I doing the right thing, get excited. Get excited about that. Ooh, I'm about to quit. That means something's about to happen. Ooh, I'm about to quit. Something's about to happen. And it's going to be dope. Start. It's almost like in the church, they say, praise him in advance. Praise him for what's coming, regardless of how it looks. The Bible said, speak of those things that are not as though they are. So what it's saying is that even though it looks terrible, speak that it's not. Even though you feel like you're about to quit, get excited. Okay, something about to happen in this moment. Get excited about those moments because there's magic in the quitting moments. We, man, I wish we had more time. Run towards the roar. So what are, I mean, I know you can talk endlessly about this, but I'm curious, what are some ways right now, you talked about one earlier with like challenging yourself to get up when it's dark and boxing and stuff like that. But what are some ways that you're running towards the roar in your own life right now? Dog, I just got back from Peru uh, last month. And um, I went solo. So one of the things I love to do, wifey allows me to do it, is take solo trips um, every so often. And so she promised me a couple years, uh, or she promised me last year, between kid two and three, you can go. Kid two and three is here, bam, between two and three. I'm like, I'm going to Peru. Wanted to hike Machu Picchu, Wanu uh, Picchu, wanted to eat the food, the culture, and, and I wanted to zip line. So Taj, for about 90 minutes, I'll send you this video on your phone. So 90 minutes, I'm climbing this side of the rock and you're climbing up four or five, 600 feet, just on the side of a mountain. And about 20 minutes into it, I'm like, I'm bored. I'm done. My mind is racing. I'm trying to turn on gospel music, podcasts, no service. Oh, it's just you and you. I'm gonna quit. I'm gonna quit. I'm gonna quit. But in that moment, I thought about, man, there's going to be a time where my kids are going to want to quit on something. And there's no way that I can authentically tell them not to when I actually just did. There's no way that I can look to an audience and I can speak to people who are sitting down who have paid me a lot of money to tell them how to get their breakthroughs when I'm not breaking through. All right. You know what, Thomas? Run towards the roar. And we're on the side of the mountain. And now all of a sudden you got to do six different uh, zip lines down the side of the mountain. And I'm freaking out. And so what I did in that moment, Taj, because everybody's standing there like, I don't know. I don't know who wants to go first. I said, I do, because I do not want somebody else's reaction to affect my response. So if they're freaking out, I might freak out. Uh, uh-uh. I want to set the tone. I want to run towards the roar and I want to be the first person to do it. Mm. Man. Okay. First of all, thank you for doing this, man. Um, I already gave you your flowers at the beginning, but I'll do it endlessly just really appreciate who you are who you've been to me what you bring to the world uh you bringing me in on stuff like allowing me to read the early manuscript of the book folks for everyone listening i mean if you weren't moved motivated or inspired by what you heard from thomas today you might want to check your posts all right so uh go go back and listen to previous episodes we got more into thomas's story and the transition out of the nfl today we just wanted to talk about the book and everything and um, Thomas, where do you point people to? I know Amazon, of course, but where do you point people to to grab the book? What's the best way for them to do that? Yeah, Amazon, you can find all three books there um, or you can come to the website. And if you come to the website, um, you know, shoot me a line, shoot me a note and just say, say what's up. Um, um, and I would love to get your feedback and your thoughts on the book. You can't find me on social media because Taj, as you know, uh, I haven't been on there since December 31st, 2019. Um, but you can find me on the website. You can find the books on Amazon. Awesome. Any uh, parting words that you want to leave for the Thrive After Sports family before we jump off today? 
you know, the greatest thing about when you thrive after sports, and I, and I really, truly, honestly believe this is what you're telling and you're sharing with your community, is that greatness is in the individual, not the jersey. People mm. think greatness is in the jersey, but it's actually in them. And that's what you're doing with Thrive After Sports, man. So I appreciate what you're doing. I love what you're doing. And thank you so much for for leading the way and really breaking through some of these walls and these hurdles and making it a lot easier for the people who come after you. Man, hey, I had you leading the way, but I, I received that. I appreciate you. Thomas, yes, thank you again for coming on, man. This has been another phenomenal episode of Thrive After Sports with Thomas Williams. Folks, go grab that book. Grab Dig. You won't regret it. It's a phenomenal story. And uh, let me know if you get choked up like I did. So I don't feel like I'm the only one. All right. See you in the next episode, guys. Peace.